Did you start the recording, Andy? You start the recording. Okay, excellent. Good deal. Hi, friends. It is good to be with you again. Uh, I think it was at the second week of the class that I, I was here, and we got to talk about the uh, spiritual discipline of justice. And so, as Andy said, this morning we are going to talk about uh, the discipline of self-care. And similarly to justice, I imagine that some of you are wondering why self-care would be classified as a spiritual discipline, and so we will talk about that specifically towards the end. But first, I think it is fitting, if we are going to be exploring self-care this morning, to begin with some breathing, uh, with some mindful breathing exercises. So if you, uh, if you feel comfortable, I'll invite you to close your eyes. If not, feel free to keep them open. Uh, but, but if so, just um, close your eyes. Find a position that feels comfortable to you, and just begin uh, by breathing slowly in and exhaling slowly out. And as you're able, begin to breathe in a bit more deeply. Locate the shallowness of your breath and begin to draw in more air and release it. And as you breathe in deeply and exhale, just bring your attention to your body and notice where you might be carrying any tension or stress. Notice what feels heavy or tight or uncomfortable. Bring your awareness to those places within yourself. And as you breathe in deeply, allow your breath to reach to those places and exhale out. We thank you for our bodies, we thank you for our minds, we thank you for our spirits. Would you partner with us as we seek to tend to each of those aspects of ourselves, that we might tend to others as well. In the name of God the Creator, God the Savior, and God the Spirit, Amen. So, many of you are uh, obviously currently within the Church of Christ, but probably come from the Church of Christ as well, so I trust that you, uh, you know your scripture well. Uh, so you are likely familiar 
with the, the text uh, found in Matthew as well as Mark, the story in the Gospels where someone approaches Jesus and says, hey, what is this all about? What, what, are, what are the greatest commandments? What really matters? What does this all boil down to? As you recall, Jesus says, well, there are two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on these two, these two commandments. It all comes down to these two things. Now, a lot of uh, Christians and churches have taken these two commandments and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You see this a lot in mission statements of churches. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to love God, and we are going to love others. Beautiful. I don't want to take anything away from that. The problem is it doesn't capture fully what Jesus says. Because when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, there's the assumption in there that we are loving ourselves as well. Now, for some of us, when I even begin to talk about that idea of loving ourselves, <coughs> our minds are going in different directions, and you're thinking it might be a little heretical. That's okay. Stay with me for a few minutes, and maybe I can convince you. But I myself am convinced that just as much as we are called to love God and to love others, we are also called to love ourselves and to love ourselves well. I will talk about this. I'm not talking about being in love with ourselves. I'm not talking about being prideful or vain. But I am talking about acknowledging the fact that we are created in the image of God, that we have inestimable value and dignity and worth, and that God has invited us to love ourselves well and in that be drawn into a greater experience of the love of God for us and for all creation. That, I think, is what self-care is ultimately about. People define self-care in different ways, depending on the field that you're in. If any of you have spent any time in, uh, in therapy or counseling or perhaps spiritual direction, you might have heard this, this term come up. And people define it a little bit differently. But here is sort of my working definition for what I mean when I say self-care. Any sort of mindful practice or habit that acknowledges, honors, and nurtures our humanity. Any sort of mindful uh, practice or habit that acknowledges, honors, and nurtures our humanity. So that's, that's my, my sort of working definition for self-care that I'll, I'll be using this morning. So let me give a few examples of what, of what that could be, and we'll, we'll return to these at the end because I want to be able to hear from you all what self-care look like for you, what might be hope self-care would look like for you, but just a few examples. Mindful breathing, we started with in the beginning of this time. Just spending a few moments, even just first becoming aware of our bodies, that we have bodies. Sometimes we live so much in our heads that even just noticing, that's right, uh, I, I have a body here, I am a body. Just becoming mindful of that and breathing. Centering ourselves can be a form of self-care. Uh, eating well, caring for our, for our bodies in that way, uh, exercising, journaling, drinking tea or coffee. For some of us, just the very act of holding that one liquid in our hands brings life to us in that moment, right? Um, sometimes it's survival in the mornings, right? But it brings life to us, helps us connect with ourselves. Spending time with friends and in relationships can be an act of self-care. 
uh, getting a massage, doing yoga, similar practices. This is not an exhausting list by any means. The cool thing just begins to give us a sense of some, some practices that, again, do that, do that which I mentioned, the definition of self-care, which is to acknowledge our humanity, to honor it, and to nurture it. Now I'll say that any of these, these examples that I just mentioned are not always acts of self-care. Sometimes we might actually use them to harm our own selves. So an example might be exercise. For some of us in our lives, we might have used what could be an act of self-care, what could be a means whereby we acknowledge and honor and nurture our humanity and actually use it as something to punish ourselves because we feel that we are not enough or we are not worthy, and if we exercise and push our, our physical body hard enough, then somehow we might become enough, or we punish ourselves for in ways that we are not enough, and so forth. Um, or eating well. We might, we might turn that into this sort of idol that says, I have to do this so perfectly in order to achieve some sort of state of perfection or whatever it may be. And this act, this experience, this habit that could be something that brings us life and allows us to connect to ourselves, connect to ourselves, and then to God and others, actually becomes a very means of disconnect from ourselves and God and others. So I just want to say that caveat that not everything that that could be an act of self-care always is. The way that we engage in this act really matters, and that's why I use that qualifier of being mindful, because I think that's a way to begin to say that being mindful of what we're doing when we are experiencing these acts really, really matters. Uh, a few of you might have some objections to self-care or maybe some misperceptions of it, and that's quite common, I think, especially for us in the church. And I have some, some ideas as to why I think that is, and we'll, we'll talk about those. Um, but it might even feel a little bit uncomfortable to spend this entire morning together talking about caring for ourselves. Because we have been conditioned as Christians, and I'll say especially for us women, we have been conditioned to not focus on ourselves and to focus on others. So if we're spending this morning to talk about caring for ourselves, it can feel prideful, it can feel selfish, it can feel sinful. And I am absolutely adamant that it is none of those things. It is not prideful, it is not selfish, it is not sinful. To honor our dignity as human beings actually opens us up and frees us up to honor the dignity of other human beings. The more aware that I become of my own humanity, of my own needs, of my own desires, of myself, it actually opens me up to see the dignity and the needs and the desires of other people. When I can embrace the fact that I am a human being in all of its sacred and profane parts, then I can also acknowledge and honor and nurture that of other people. I don't think that's sinful. I don't think that's selfish. I don't think that's prideful. Again, we're not talking about being in love with ourselves. We're talking about loving ourselves well, caring for ourselves well. Uh, for some of us, you might think, okay, I, I buy it, this sounds nice, um, but I'm way too busy. I'm so busy trying to care for other people that trying to care for myself almost just sounds laughable. Maybe even offensive almost. 
you're asking me, it, it really sounds like you're asking me to do one more thing, and I feel like I can't possibly do one more thing in my, in my, my week. Um, I have a 10-month-old who is beautiful and precious, and I love her. And, I won't say but, and uh, she's never been a good napper. This week has been especially bad. Um, most babies, I'm told, usually nap somewhere around an hour and a half to two hours a day. <coughs> Not Olive. Um, she's never been anywhere close to that. But we had a banner week where in three days she napped a total of 30 minutes. <laughs> That's why my husband's home with her this morning and said, Go. I'll just stay with her. And I said, thank you. <laughs> this is my act of self-care this morning. Um, so, in trying to manage life with Olive and, and parent and work and be a spouse and be a friend and all those, I understand that it can be really hard. As a mother, I am 10 months in discovering even more fully how difficult it can be to care for myself. I'm seeking to care for this little one as I'm sitting there looking at her and saying I don't have anything else to give you and she goes, that's okay I'm still hungry, I'm going to climb back on top of you to nurse a little bit more and I'm thinking I don't know how this is working but I'm glad that she's still, she's still alive. Some of you whether you have a, a did that sound sarcastic? I didn't mean it to. I really I love her I didn't mean it to sound sarcastic whether you all have a 10-month-old or not, you have obligations that make it difficult to care for yourself well. And I'm convinced it still matters. I'm convinced that we still absolutely must care for ourselves well. Because our capacity to love and care for others, which we certainly are called to do as followers of Jesus, our capacity to do that and to do it well I'm convinced is directly related to how well we are able to love and care for ourselves. If I walk into a room and I am so defeated and I am so exhausted and I am done and I am empty, when I go into that room, my first thought is not, how can I care for so-and-so? Oh, that's right, I remember this person has something. How can I help? Right, we just might be, I just, I'm here, I'm surviving. I want to suggest that the fuller that we live into our experience as a human being, and that means caring for, for ourselves, the greater the capacity that we have to love and care for other people, to even see them in the first place, and to love and to care for them. For some of us, the objection might be, frankly, I'm not worth this. It sounds nice for other people. I, I buy it. I don't buy it for myself. I am not worth being tended to. I am not worth being cared for. Um, before beginning to, to teach at Lipscomb, I spent five years working in a residential facility for women that had faced various forms of trauma and often sexualized trauma. For all of their life experiences and all the ways that they had been traumatized and that their experiences had shaped the way that they thought they think about themselves, you can imagine that inviting them to begin to care for their own selves was not always received well. They actually were really good at, at seeking to care for other people. But for their, all their lives, they had been forced to meet the needs of others, even if those were perverted needs and desires. They were forced to do that for other people. So for them, 
it was really difficult to see themselves as worthy of even having their own needs or desires or even thinking about their body as theirs and then beginning to tend to it. So for, for some of us, whether our, our stories and experiences are, are of that nature or not, it can be really difficult to see ourselves as worthy of time and attention. For some of us, we have lived in ways to try to deflect attention away from us. We have acted or dressed or functioned in a way that we, we genuinely want to keep people away or to keep any attention away because we don't want any sort of attention to us. So it seems really crazy in that then to be invited to give your own self attention. And yet I still think it's worth it and I'm still convinced that we, we ought to, we, we must. We are made in the image of God. And that means a lot of different things, but one of the most important things it means is that we have, as I said earlier, inestimable value and dignity and worth as human beings. So though our stories and our experiences might tell us otherwise, the faith narrative that we are called up into tells us that we have worth and we have value and we have dignity. And therefore, we are worthy of being cared for by others and by ourselves, and certainly by God. Uh, for some of us, we might think that, even then, as this is, is titled, this idea of self-care, that this is all about the self. And in some ways, this is about ourselves, and that is not a bad thing. But as I said, I'm convinced that our capacity to be able to care for others is directly related to how well we're able to care for ourselves. I'm still amazed at, at human at our capacity at human beings to still care for others even when we have done so little to, to care for ourselves. But I'm convinced that those two are still, are still connected. And genuine self-care does not uh, lead us further into ourselves and, and isolate us from other people. Genuine self-care that honors God and that honors us actually leads us not away from, but into engagement with other people. It doesn't lead us away from it, it leads us into engagement and connection with others. Because when I've been tended to, and my needs have met, they matter, I've acknowledged that they matter, and I've helped to meet some of those needs, again, I'm freed up to see that in other people, to see what they might need, and to help offer them that sort of care. So this is not all just about the self, though it is about ourselves, but it's ultimately connected to, to others as well. Uh, because I am a trained as a theologian, I, I try to think theologically about these types of, of concepts. So I want to spend a couple minutes thinking about sort of a theological rooting or grounding or basis for this idea of, of self-care that is certainly not unique to uh, the Christian world. Sometimes, as I said, it's been rejected by the Christian world. But here's where I think we can ground this concept theologically. Um, of all the ways that God could, ch could have chosen to redeem creation. God chose to take on human flesh. We celebrate the incarnation. We have a faith that is centered on the very act of divinity becoming humanity. Of God stepping into our world, stepping into our lives, stepping into our neighborhoods in flesh and becoming human. 
Therefore, any act, any habit, any practice that dignifies our humanity, I'm convinced, is a theological act. It is a way of joining God in, in the dignification, in the embrace of humanity. I don't think it's something that takes us away from God. I think it invites us to join further into the experience of, of God. I think it helps us see the way that God sees us and sees our world because so often we can uh, belittle or devalue our needs and say they don't really matter. It, especially for those of us in the Western world who many of us, though perhaps not all, have immense resources. It can be really difficult to think, I might like to book a massage today, but I just saw what's going on in Aleppo, and so I just feel really guilty, and I can't begin to even think about acknowledging the fact that a massage might be a really healthy thing for me. What do we do with, with that disconnect? And the very short answer is, I don't know. There's a lot that we could explore there. But I do know that the reason that we're upset by some of those things is because we believe that humans have dignity and they have value and they have worth. And that's why what they're experiencing is so wrong. It's such an affront to what our experience is meant to be. And to acknowledge that does not mean that we have to not be able to acknowledge our own humanity. Uh, some of you are familiar with the, the term soteriology. It simply means the ways that we think about salvation, the ways we think about the concept of salvation. Now, if your experiences are anything like mine, then the ways that you may have grown up or even in later life been, been taught to think about salvation uh, rejects our humanity, teaches us to, at times, really hate our own bodies, our own flesh. We only want to use that, even that term flesh in a negative way. To think about our, our, our embodiment, our, our, our experience as a human being in a negative way. And therefore, salvation becomes like this gift that says you get to be freed from being a human being. Because being human is somehow wrong, and it's inherently sinful, and it's bad. And so salvation says, here you go, just hang on, because someday you'll stop being a human. God is going to free you from being a human being, and until that point... God's going to probably uh, help you to be able to pretend that you're less than human. Or pretend you're, that you're less human, rather. That we can be something other than human. That's really, really, really bad theology. I'm convinced that salvation is rather than being freed up from being a human being, salvation is about being freed to be human. It is a gift from God that helps us identify all that which would keep us from living most fully into how we are meant to live, how we are meant to be. It helps us identify all those things that would keep us from living into what it means to be made in the image of God. And so in our salvation, we begin to identify addictions and trauma history and jealousy and envy and these things that we have tended just to say, That's, you know, this, is, this is part of my human nature. I'm not just convinced it's just part of our human nature. I'm convinced it's things that keep us from being human. And so self-care, I think, again, acknowledges and dignifies, I'm a human being. And rather than just only ever using that term in a negative, sort of pejorative sense that's like, well, I'm human, meaning I'm flawed, 
I'm imperfect, and we are. This isn't about making us some, something other than that. Uh, but we are human. And again, God became human. God took on flesh. So we can celebrate our flesh. We can celebrate our bodies, our lives, the fact that we are human. And self-care helps us do that. Lastly, I'll say that uh, on a note on what we might call anthropology, this meaning, what does it mean for us to look at this as, as humans and how this affects, this affects uh, us as individuals. For some of us, again, we think that this sounds perhaps prideful or sinful or uh, really selfish. And if you are anything like me, then you tend to look at the world and, and whatever you're watching on the news or whatever you're reading in the newspaper or, or uh, experiencing with, with friends and what they're going through, you hear it and you go, okay, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh, and you start piling it on your shoulders and begin to think, yeah, okay, I've got to somehow figure out what to do about Aleppo. I've got to, I've got to figure out what to do about wildfires that are burning in, in uh, the western United States right now. I've got to figure out what to do about the fact that there is a, this incredible surplus of needs in the foster care system because of, of drug addiction and increasing opioid addiction. These are all horrific, tragic things, and, I, and please say I'm not making light of them. But it is not prideful to tend to our needs. What is prideful is that I look at those things and I assume, yep, and I'm the one to fix them. Or that if I was to step away for a moment from tending to the needs of others, to be able to tend to my own needs to care for myself, that the world would stop functioning, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't keep turning, and that somehow God would not, he would no longer be at work in those places or in our lives or our communities' lives if I step, step back for a second. Through acts of self-care, I'm convinced that God is giving us an invitation to step away for a time. Whether that's five minutes withholding that, that one cup of tea, or that's for a week we take a retreat and we, we are silent and we escape for a few days, or however, however long to whatever capacity, God is extending us invitation to, to step away, to be cared for, to identify our needs, to meet some of those needs, to acknowledge our humanity, because we were never meant to be God. To be human. And when we have these habits of self-care, these mindful acts that acknowledge our and, and nurture our humanity, we are far more able and capable to then sort of return and say, all right, God, where are you at work? And where are you inviting me to join? And that's why I'm convinced that self-care is a spiritual discipline. Because I think that spiritual disciplines are these, these habits, these, these acts that open our eyes to what's really true and to what's really real. They help us push, push past any other story or narrative that's saying, this is what's true, this is what's real, this is how you define reality, this is how you order things. And we can push back those for a second and we join God in prayer or fasting or all the other disciplines that you all have been, have been studying over the semester and say, God, show me what's really real. Show me where you are working. 
Help me sense your presence. I'm convinced that we are more able to do that, to ask that question, and then to see where God might be answering it when we have been caring for ourselves well. Okay, I shared a lot. I want to open open us up for a time to dialogue for a few minutes about this. So, tell me what you're hearing, sensing, feeling as I talk about some of this. What are some of the questions that come up? What objections internally come up for you? And or, how have you been practicing self-care and what has your experience been, been of it? Yeah. Um, I love how you kind of brought the heart kind of re Um, my question is, as far as taking things, I guess, since we kind of went back a little bit, so I was trying to, like, being raised in the church and looking at being out there in the world, like, a lot of different um, perceptions and skewed um, ideas of the worth and value of a human. Um, what are some of the, I guess, limits or maybe some of the signs that maybe you were starting to want to too far to the right to sort of a more spiritual human? Versus more, I guess, indulging in, I guess, yourself putting more in this that kind of mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. What are some of the things that kind of mark that difference? Yeah. It's a beautiful question. I think for <laughs> me, uh, any any act or experience that helps me get connected with my own body sort of necessarily keeps me in that lane. Because as I said, um, it's not easy, it's, or excuse me, it's not difficult to realize I am really flawed. To be human, yes, that means to be imperfect and to be in flawed. And so when I really am connected with my own self, with my own body, I very, and I don't just mean that in a, in a physical sense of flawed, I mean in a very uh, total sense of being flawed. When I am connecting with my own self, I'm, aware of those things. The difference for me is that I don't identify those things and then say, and therefore I must punish myself. Where for some people in our in our history of, of Christian experience have take, taken that to a very literal sense, I'm going to eat, flog myself, to somehow punish myself for being a human being. Rather, I think it's about identifying, connecting, yes, I am human, yes, I am imperfect, and yes, I have dignity and value. Um, and yes, I am flawed. And yes, I am fully loved and accepted and embraced. And holding those things in tension, if we were to ever do anything that took us away from that tension, then I think we, we might begin to notice that we're going one, one extreme or the other. But our lived experience of humanity will always hold those things together in, in tension. Uh, that might be a help again, a helpful marker to say, okay, I'm, I'm staying somewhere in, the, in between these these lanes. Moreover, what are the, what are the results? What are the sort of outcomes of these practices? Are they taking me away from engagement with others, engagement with God's work in the world to an unhealthy extent? Because sometimes we might need to step away for a time. Um, but are they taking me away away from that to 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 great an extent? Or are they actually drawing me into it more fully? Are they helping, are these practices helping me become more aware of God's work and helping me identify where I'm being called to join God in that, in that work? 
Did that answer your question? Yeah, it kind of helped us, but it's a pretty big question. Yes. Yeah, great, yeah, good question. Please. I mean, I think the idea of self-sacrificial love seems to be very central to Christ's calling. And so, you know, and, and we've taken that sometimes as a direction to ignore self-care, but, but I think if you're practicing self-care while holding on to self-sacrificial love, I think that's another way that draws you back into uh, I don't know if I'm answering that part of your question, but I think that's part of like, is this kind of like what you're saying? Is this help draw us into a place where we can better practice mm-hmm. self-sacrificial love? So I don't, I don't know if that, to me, that concept, that phrase is is important. Um, not not as a contrast to self-care, but as kind of a, what is this, you know, am, I, am I moving in that direction more effectively? What do you think of that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, pr- I appreciate you specifically that call to, to self-sacrifice. And I absolutely affirm that and never want to take anything away from it. I think it's central to a cruciform life, living in the way of Christ. And here's what I'll suggest. If we are to sacrifice of ourselves, we have to first acknowledge and embrace our, that we have a self. And for many of us, we have lived in so many unhealthy ways or others have made choices that have harmed us to such an extent that we don't even know what it means to have a sense of self that we're not sacrificing from self. Um, it's not, it doesn't become a life-giving experience for us and for others. And so I think these, these practices help us identify the fact that, yes, I have a self, and then I can give up that self. I can sacrifice from that place of, of being a self. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, and I think the idea that, it's, that we're becoming more effective, right, that we're becoming that whole idea of I can't love well can't really do this thing that I'm called to do if I don't. Or I'm going to do it the best if I come from my healthiest, most aware of my place in God's creation. You know, that's the I. So yeah, I don't think it's an, I don't think it's an if, it's an either or, it's a, how does that bring you, like you've been saying, into a place of being more able to attach to the outcome, that whole like taking everything on your back and and that's not humble to think that like, the world is gonna, you know, that this person is gonna fall apart without you. <coughs> not only not healthy, but it's not uh, it's not gracious, it's not humble, it's not common. Um, and I'll go back to your question too about like narcissism, like it's like your mom always said, like the bully isn't the bully because or like the bully is the bully because they don't have a good sense of their own self. Um, 
So like the narcissist is not a narcissist because they actually love themselves so much. That might look be what it looks like. The narcissist is a narcissist because they really hate themselves. They, like they really feel un unvalued, un unworthy.
Yes, and some of us, our stories and experiences uh, make it more easy for us to take these steps to caring for ourselves. And for others of us, we have a lot of work to get from mm-hmm. there to, to here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's absolutely important. Um, so I mentioned for some of us even thinking that we might be worthy of this is a, it's a non-starter for some of us.
to that dignity and that value and worth and nurture it in such ways that we are then compelled to go and attend to that dignity and value and worth in all of the rest of creation. I hope that uh, as you continue to, to study in this, this class, as you study in spiritual disciplines, uh, that this is one that we not 